hard sayings of Jesus. And um, I'm sure they've been really good. I've been in the youth services each week. And in fact, this is actually kind of different from me being in here uh, because I'm normally with the youth or the college age folks, uh, a lot of your kids. And um, so I'm used to being with them. And this is actually the first time I have taught in this setting. So this is kind of exciting, kind of nervous, but not really. Um, A lot of familiar, friendly faces out here. So um, it's good to be with you and it's different for me. Now, let me ask you something. How many people in here have kids who are 26 or older? All right. You could be my parents, just for the record. You know, I just wanted to let you know. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, you could. And so that's why I say this is a little different. You know, uh, it's a little different for you, too, because you're used to guys like Jeff Sample and Umlauf and Jeff Simons and Dr. Jimmy Young uh, teaching you each Wednesday and Sunday, probably. Uh, so it's different for each of us. And I say all that to say this that I'm, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be in here. I'm thankful that I get to open this book tonight, and I, I get to be assured that God has spoken to us. And I'm fully assured that the grass withers and the flowers fade and lose their life and their beauty, and yet God's Word endures and it communicates to each one of us where we are. Um, I'm assured that the Holy Spirit doesn't need a 26-year-old uh, to communicate truth to His people, and... Uh, you know, a 26-year-old with a little musical ability and questionable facial hair, I've been reminded lately, um, you know, he doesn't need me to communicate truth to his people, and yet, at the same time, I can be fully assured that he can use even somebody like me to do just that. Um, he can use somebody very flawed, and his word is powerful, and it speaks. And so we can open it tonight and, and be assured of that. And so I'm thankful for that, too. Um, so in light of all that, let's open up with prayer, and then... We'll get into the scripture. Father, I thank you that uh, you, you have spoken, and you've spoken clearly, and you can use um, a flawed vessel to communicate truth to your people and comfort to your people. And uh, you don't need me, and you don't need a lot of the, uh, the people who teach for you, and yet you use us. And so... Um, Lord, would you, would you speak tonight? Would you um, speak through your word and help us to clearly understand what you say? Even uh, though Jesus spoke hard words, Lord, I believe that you intend for us to understand them. Um, Lord, to be encouraged and to be drawn closer to you and to be uh, made holy by those words. And so will you help us to understand them tonight? Lord, help me to speak clearly. And um, would you be glorified in all that we do? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we've already established that uh, many of you are parents in here tonight. So let me ask you another question. And my question is this. Did did any of you, when your kids were little, did you speak to your spouse in sort of a code about certain things when your kids were around? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, your kids are around and you're you're trying to communicate something, but you don't want them to know what you're talking about. So you kind of talk in some kind of a code. And... um, for whatever reasons that may be, I have an example from my own life, and it's when my brother, who is right over here, by the way, and he looks a lot like me, um, when he and I and our little sisters, uh, when we were small, our parents used to uh, say something at night about our bedtime. They would say, I think it's time for the BED. And, uh, you know, we, up to a certain age, that doesn't really mean anything to a kid. The BED, you know, we're going, okay, so it's time for a group of letters in the alphabet. We might know that, you know, if we're two or three, mom's been teaching us on the magnetic board. 
we know that, but we, we don't get it. It's code to us. We're in the dark. Uh, but the spouse knows. The, the other parent knows what is meant by this, and that's really the point. And so they, they of course, herd the kids toward the bed, and uh, eventually the kids start to piece things together, and they start figuring out what's going on here. They see a pattern forming. Uh, my sisters, in fact, I remember, you know, since they were younger, I remember when they were really little, and uh, they would say, it's time for the BED. And my sisters, Michael remembers probably too, they'd go, not EBD, not EBD. And so they didn't really get the spelling down. They didn't understand that, but they knew what usually happened when that phrase came along. And so they didn't want to go to bed. Uh, they got the message. They knew that where they were being taken. But the point is, there's, there's a twofold purpose in this kind of parental code talk. And the purpose is this, to communicate something to the other parent and to conceal that message from the kids. You're communicating to one person, but you're, you're kind of concealing it from the other people present. Now, having said that, let's take a venture back to first century uh, Middle East. This guy, Jesus, is walking around, and he's going from town to town performing miracles and healings and teaching, and he didn't teach like everybody else. He taught with authority and power. And uh, there's an old children's song uh, that's called Jesus Was a Storytelling Man. And that sounds, you know, kind of light and, yay, Jesus was a storyteller man. And even though he was much more than that, we know Jesus at least was a storyteller. We do know that. Um, and people flocked to hear him and they heard him gladly. Um, but his words were also very picturesque. You know, he talked about sheep and wolves and uh, he talked about camels walking through needles' eyes. He talked about throwing your kids' breads to dogs and, and handing your child a snake when they ask for food or... Uh, even people walking around with beams in their eyes, beams of wood in their eyes. I've even got a picture of that um, that's going to come up here in just a second. You know, <laughs> a beam of wood in the eye. You know, it's a very interesting picture. Uh, Clay's not here, I don't think, tonight. So, you know, I hate that. I wish he could have been here. Uh, Umlauf did that for me. But you can take that off. Uh, but, you know, these very picturesque things, you know, beams of wood in the eye. I mean, uh, he spoke very imaginatively, and, and it was attention-grabbing. But technically, those weren't stories. Uh, his stories all fall into a category uh, that we call parables. So what is a parable, really? I mean, you've all heard a simple definition of parable, probably. And what is it? Short story, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay, you know, we've all heard that. And really, that's it. I mean, it's basically a real-life description uh, of something some kind of a truth. It's a real-life situation that reveals some kind of truth that goes deeper. Uh, It's meant to help somebody understand a spiritual truth, right? I mean, when Jesus uh, uses agriculture to say the kingdom of heaven is like, you can expect to understand better what the kingdom of heaven is like through this little story he tells. It's pretty simple, so it seems. But turn to Mark 4 if you have your Bibles, and let's look at the first parable that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 2. Mark chapter 4, verse 2. It says, And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it, and other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. 
Other seed fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up, increasing, yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, that's simple enough. Uh, a guy sows some seed. The seed falls on different kinds of ground, and different results occur on the different kinds of soil. No explanation. Jesus just gives facts. He just throws these facts about soils out there and seed and leaves them hanging, basically. Now, his audience was probably on the edge of their first century seats. Uh, the, this radical new teacher's popping through, and he's doing cool stuff, and, and uh, they're on the edge of their seat ready to hear what he's going to say. And what does he give them? You know, soil and seeds. And that's it. And you have to figure, they're thinking, you know, I, I just did that this morning in my wheat field. I know how seed and soil works. Don't you think I know that? I mean, what's, what's the point? Well, there's got to be something more. They're waiting for this deep spiritual truth, and they're kind of left with just some facts about gardening. Um, so they're thinking, yes, yeah, so what? And I kind of feel like this. I don't know if you remember in the 90s, they used to have those 3D uh, images that have, you know, you have to look through the image to see the thing in it. Uh, I looked some of these up online, and I was going to put one up here, but I wanted to find one with an answer, you know, that had the had the thing you're supposed to see, because I can never see them. Uh, who in here could actually see those? Well, yeah, most of you. A lot of you probably couldn't, and you feel like I did. You look at the thing, and I'm, I looked at some on my screen yesterday, and I was trying to look through the image, and it's just not working. I cannot see the image, and you're supposed to see like a race car or a, uh, a palm tree or a toilet seat or something, and you know, I, I can never see the image through the image. Uh, I just see the surface stuff, and that's kind of how they felt, I think. They, they see soil and seeds, and you know, okay, I, I don't get the point. The people didn't see the deeper picture Jesus was giving them, but Mark goes ahead and explains something to us that happened later when the crowd wasn't around. So let's keep reading in verse 10. Verse 10 of Mark 4, he says, and when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, most of you have read or heard this parable before, uh, the parable of the soils. You've probably even read the explanation of it. And so you probably get it, more than likely. The reality, though, is that we have the answer given to us in Scripture. We have where Mark records what Jesus says. He explains it, you know, this soil is this, and this is why this happens, and this is what it means. But by and large, his original audience, they just didn't get it. They missed his point. And even his disciples didn't catch it the first time around. I mean, the ones that he had picked out, you know, they're the ones that are supposed to be his right-hand guys, and they didn't really get it either. So in verse 10, we find them, we, we, excuse me, we find them coming to him, and they're going, hey, Jesus, what's the deal with parables? What's the deal with, I mean, up to this point, you've been speaking pretty plainly to us, but now it's as if you're speaking in code. Like he's speaking in code. Remember the parent code? And so what's Jesus' response? He essentially says, I am speaking in code, and there's a reason for it. And I'm not making that up. He's, you look at verses 11 and 12 again. It says, to you it's been given to understand the kingdom of, of God, the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. 
Now, remember the parental code talk about the BED. Uh, it had a twofold purpose. The, the purpose was to, uh, to communicate to the other parent, it's time for bed for the kids. But it was also to conceal that from us, the kids. So it had two purposes to it. It was to hide it from some. And in the same way, Jesus basically comes right out and says that he speaks in parables in order to reveal truth to some, but to hide it from others. And that's the hard saying of Jesus that we're, going to, that we're looking at tonight. So do you sense its difficulty? Have any of you thought about this and thought, that really is, that's hard. I mean, it's, it is tough. If you don't sense the difficulty of it, let me help you out a little bit. Our Lord, God in flesh, the one who is so loving and kind, this Jesus tells his disciples that he does not want some people to understand the truth about God's kingdom, about salvation, because if they understand it, they will turn to him and they'll be healed. And he does not want them to be healed. In essence, it's like Jesus is saying he doesn't want everyone to be saved. Now, tell me that doesn't stir something up in you. How can that be true? And yet that's what he says. Jesus does not want everyone in his audience to understand him and to turn to him and to be saved. It it shocks our spiritual senses, I think, a little bit. That goes against everything that we see to be true about God, I think. It shocks us. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this hard saying? Uh, Do we explain it away? Do we soften Jesus' words so that it makes us more comfortable? Um, I don't think that's what we have to do. I don't think it's what we should do. Uh, I tell you what, let's turn to Matthew 13. And we'll get a fuller picture in Matthew 13 of Jesus' explanation. Matthew happens to, to include a little bit more. He goes a little further with what Jesus says whereas Mark gave us a more condensed version. Matthew 13, beginning with verse 10. He says, it says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not... Even what he has will be taken away. It's kind of a reverse Robin Hood mentality. And this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, and he quotes Isaiah 6 here, You you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but you'll never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So here, uh, Matthew records a little bit more of how Jesus explained his use of parables. And so let's make some observations about this. Uh, One thing I think that you need to know is, first and foremost, it's important to know that Jesus is not keeping people out of his kingdom that truly want to be in his kingdom. That's something that can be said sometimes. When we look at this and, and take what he says, it's almost like you're going, well, you know, 
Jesus is, is stiff-arming people who want to be in and who want to follow him, and that's just not the case. <clears throat> I want you to notice what had happened before this first parable. In Matthew 12, if you go a chapter back from this, the Pharisees are in the crowd, and they accuse Jesus after healing. Uh, they accuse Jesus of casting out demons in the power of Satan. If you look at verse, uh, chapter 12 of Matthew and verses 22 through 24, it says this, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, Jesus healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So they made this serious accusation against Jesus that he's demon-possessed, that he's demon-empowered. And so it prompts him to launch into this discourse about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's another difficult saying that I think somebody else has either already tackled or will. <clears throat> he, he, he warns them about this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And the fact is, they've made this serious accusation, but the Pharisees really, they have no intentions of accepting Jesus' words. They have no plan to follow him. Uh, and so he really has no reason to continue to offer truth to them. Up to this point, they've demonstrated nothing but a hardness of heart to the light of truth of Jesus' teachings. And so we find that Jesus' ministry turns a corner after this incident. You know, up to this point, he's been speaking plainly, and all of a sudden, he rounds a corner when these Pharisees accuse him of uh, casting out demons in Satan's power. And he says, okay, and it changes, and he starts to speak in parables a.k.a. speaking in code. And he does this in order to keep those in the dark who are already embracing the dark. He, he keeps them in the dark, um, those who are already embracing darkness. They certainly weren't pleading with him, Oh, Jesus, please let us follow you. Let us come after you. Please show us truth. They weren't doing that. They were rejecting his teachings and his lordship over him, over them. And so here's how that applies to us, I think, how it applies to you tonight. Um, and trek with me here. I think we can say from this that you don't need to think of Jesus as a mean Savior, but you don't need to think of him as a pushover either. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus isn't keeping sweet little innocent folks who, um, who want to come after him, people who are in the dark, but they, they're seeking after him. He's not keep, keeping them out of the kingdom of God. But he's hiding the truth from prideful people, people who are sinfully rejecting him anyway. Um, but also, sometimes we think, oh, Jesus will overlook sin, my sin, and he's so loving and patient, so he'll, just, he'll, he'll overlook it and he'll forgive. And while it's true that Jesus, the Lord really is loving and patient with us, isn't he? And while that's true, it seems biblical to say that sin and unbelief lead to more sin and unbelief. Reject Jesus now, and you'll find it even more difficult to accept him later. Uh, let sin creep into your life now and be prepared to go deeper into it later. Romans 1 describes how God gives people over to the lusts of their, of their heart. And you and I must be cautious about sin and unbelief and pride in our lives. God opposes the proud, and that's what the Pharisees were. And they demonstrated it over and over, and finally... He basically stiff arms him and says, okay, I'm going to keep you in the dark. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Jesus doesn't turn away those who come to him for mercy. He is good. And so the first observation we can make is that Jesus isn't keeping people out of the kingdom who want to get in. Rather, he's rejecting the prideful uh, who are rejecting his light that he's giving them anyway. Um, But second, not only that, it's important to know that God is the one who's in control of who gets in the kingdom anyway. Uh, he's, He's really in control of who even wants to be in the kingdom. If you look at Matthew 13, back to Jesus' words, in verse 11, he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So while it's true that all of us are responsible to understand the mysteries of the kingdom, to respond to Christ in faith, at the same time, the fact is that that does not happen naturally. It doesn't just happen. We can't just all of a sudden choose to do that. Uh, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6, and he describes how, how people have eyes to see, but they never perceive, and ears to hear, but they never understand. You know, people are walking around all over the place with eyes and ears, but they don't get it. They're not seeing the, the deeper image um, that's there. They're not understanding the truth. They don't hear it. They don't get it. And in describing the ones who do perceive and understand, the language Jesus uses is that of a gift, isn't it? He talks about it like this. To you it has been given, and to them it has not been given. And so there's this gift language where it seems that there's something else, someone else who is in control and who gives abilities to do this. He gives it. Jesus says nothing here of anybody's choice in the matter. Uh, He rather emphasizes that God gives the spiritual eyes and ears to some and he has not given it to others. Uh, So while we're responsible to hear and see the truth, at the same time, we can't unless God gives the grace to do it. Unless he gives us the gift of spiritual sight and hearing, he is sovereign in the matter and he gives it as he chooses. So you got man's responsibility in the matter and you got God's sovereignty. And the balance that's held between these two is, is shown throughout Scripture. It's not one or the other, it's both. And I think one of the best places to see that is in Matthew 11. So just turn two chapters back again. And I love this. In Matthew 11, starting in verse 25, Jesus prays to the Father, and then he turns to the people and says something interesting. He says, excuse me, in verse 25, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28, he says to the people, Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Ultimately, God gives or hides truth. And Jesus thanks the Father for that, that he he gives the ability to see. But then he turns to the people and says, come to me. They're all invited, all the weak and Burdened people, much like a lot of you, you feel burdened and weary from life. 
And Jesus says, come to me, and I, my, my burden is light. He invites us to. And so, uh, you know, God gives or hides, but we are invited. And both are true, and they somehow work together. And brothers and sisters, I think, I think the most important thing that you and I can walk away from this tonight, understanding, <clears throat> we can walk away tonight with a renewed appreciation for God's sovereign gift of grace to you, to me, to us, as a people. <clears throat> I mean, when Jesus says to the disciples, to you it's been given, but to them it's not, there's this contrast between the two groups. And I think this contrast by Jesus was certainly intended to exhibit the enormity of grace showered upon those who can see and hear. The enormity of grace showered upon the disciples who have received this gift that was not given indiscriminately to all. The disciples certainly didn't have anything in in themselves worthy of earning God's favor, and neither do you and neither do I. Uh, We don't have the merit to do it, and yet God... uh, gives it anyway. Jesus, in fact, made a habit of intentionally choosing the not good enoughs for his disciples. These guys were fishermen, and they were kind of dumb. They weren't well-educated. They didn't get what he wanted them to get all the time. They're a lot like us sometimes. You know, the not good enoughs. And yet, he intentionally chose them. I mean, that, that speaks a lot about the goodness of Christ, and he gives by his grace. And the fact that spiritual eyes and spiritual ears are given as a free gift to the deaf and blind, that excludes all boasting and pride on our part. So let me ask you, do you have spiritual sight and hearing? I mean, have you received mercy and grace from the Lord in this way? Whereas once you were blind, now you see as we sing. Read what Jesus says in verse 16 again. Chapter 13, verse 16. It says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see... And your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. A lot of people longed. The righteous people longed. The prophets longed to see the day of Christ and the coming of the kingdom. And they didn't see it. They could see it down the road, but they never got to see it come in their lifetime. And yet Christ comes along and he says, you know what, if you see it now, you are blessed. You are blessed. Your ears are blessed. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. May we live our lives in humility and thankfulness and dependence and obedience to the God who is merciful the merciful to us. We are truly debtors to mercy alone. And uh, I just want to close tonight with a song. I'm just going to grab the guitar. And it's not plugged in, and um, I don't have, have a, a good microphone. i got this lapel mic, and we're going to just sing together. Um, the words will be up on the screen. And I want us to sing A Debtor to Mercy Alone. I just think that would be a fitting way to close tonight. You know, in light of all this, really, that's, that's our song. It's mercy that gave us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we should be thankful for that and live our lives in light of that, not boasting about how good we are or anything like that but dependent on mercy. So let's sing this together. A debtor to mercy alone Of covenant mercy I sing 
Father, we thank you that the Savior's obedience and blood hide our transgressions from view. Lord, we have so many. I know, Lord, I sense my darkness. It seems like more and more every day, and yet, um, Lord, the blood of Jesus covers me, even me. And so, Lord, would you help us feel the weight of that? Lord, would you help us feel the, the weight 
of your grace upon our lives. Lord, that you even reveal yourself to us in your word. Lord, that you open our eyes to see the truth. Lord, would you help us to be motivated to share that truth with others. And Lord, to trust you to open the eyes of others. Um, Lord, not to try to convince people by all kinds of creative, worldly ways. Um, Lord, but to speak the truth and to let you do the work. Lord, we thank you that you reveal it to uh, the unwise and you hide it from the wise. And Lord, so would you help us to live our lives in light of that. Lord, to obey you and to uh, draw closer to you. Lord, to be conformed to the Lord Jesus more and more and to honor you with our lives. Would you help us to do that? Because we sure can't do it on our own. And it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.